UX engineering is basically the focus on the intersection between design engineering. These are folks who are either designers who know how to code, or they're either engineers who know how to design. You're trying to do two things. There's very, very few people that can do two things or do all that stuff or you're a unicorn and unicorns don't exist. But I never listened because I was like, well, you know, it's a skill. Is it like you just have to kind of work hard? Obviously, not everyone can do it, but if you're dedicated, you're able to kind of be able to accomplish and be able to like learn different things and do two things that people think is super hard. You want to architect your life to what do you want it to be. So if you're 20 years old, you want to envision like, where do you want to be at 40? Where do you want to be at 30? And basically uh, reverse engineer it and basically work towards that goal. What's up everybody, I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer. So in this show, I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today, I'm talking to Adekunli Oduye. Adekunli is a UX engineer at Plaid, where he's helping to build Threads, Plaid's official design system. He also co-authored the design engineering handbook by Envision and is passionate about design systems, prototyping, and front-end development. When Adekuli isn't building software, you can probably find him reading up on stoicism or planning his next adventure. As a designer myself, I find it fascinating to learn about other roles. So, in our conversation, we delve deep into UX engineering, a discipline that combines design and development. Adekunli shared a lot of insights into his day-to-day as a UX engineer, best practices for prototyping, advice for people who want to become a UX engineer, and so much more. There's a lot of value packed into this one. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Adekunli Oduye. Adekunli, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this one because I really want to dive into your expertise, which is UX engineering. You're the co-author of Envision's book titled Design Engineering Handbook. And more specifically, you wrote chapter two, which is titled Design Engineering Process. So I would love to delve into the details and also maybe we can talk about some practical advice for people who are maybe heard of UX engineering, but um, don't really know how to get in. So I think a good place to start will be for people who've never heard of the term before, what is UX engineering? So UX engineering is basically the focus on the intersection between design engineering. These are folks who are either designers who know how to code, or they're either engineers who know how to design. Um, so that's kind of like the simplest way I can like explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like various titles, no matter like where you go within like organizations and job roles, but that's kind of like the summary of it. And I guess in your case, um, maybe delving into your background a little bit, how did you get into UX engineering? Like, were you more like engineering to design or was it more like you started out with design and then you went into engineering? Yeah, great question. So I started all throughout like elementary school, college. I was focusing mostly on 
mostly like art. So I was an art major doing a lot of paintings and I made a kind of transition into design after college. Mm-hmm. And I was initially wanted to do a lot of like, like communication design work. So this is like magazine layouts mm-hmm. and, and publications, stuff like that. Right. And I was like, well, the web is kind of like the future. So I kind of like made a transition to that. Yeah. Um, and I realized when I was doing a lot of web design, I was working with like uh, developers and sometimes where I would like propose a different like design solution, they were kind of say, well, oh, that's like impossible to do or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made it my mission to kind of like understand the medium of the web. So I, I really wanted to understand about like the languages of the web, which is like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, mm-hmm. how the web works and whatnot. And then that was kind of, I made the, the assumption where I was like, well, rather than providing these like static mockups of like design, I could kind of be more of like a, uh, be able to implement the actual experience so people can kind of see the fe- feasibility of the actual design, but also it's a better way to kind of get feedback. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I, I got into it. Um, right. I had a various roles and titles um, within my past couple of years. So it's been like mm-hmm. design technologist, UX engineering, product designer, um, but it was all the kind of same thing where it's like, I'm a basically a designer that is able to kind of uh, code model work. Mm-hmm. Because I would imagine that's also a more, I guess, effective way to communicate with non-designers, in this case, like PMs, developers. Yeah, because the idea, especially with like, if you're a designer and knows how to code, is that you're able to, like, to prototype the real experience. And there's this quote that says, like, like one prototype is worth a thousand meetings. Because oftentimes mm-hmm. when you go, like, people will see the design and be like, oh, well... They can't really, they can't really gauge the the feasibility of like a design when it's like static mode. But if you're able to kind of play around with it, you could ask better questions. And kind of saying like, is this the right solution? Is there anything missing from there? And from a PM standpoint, it's easy to kind of see like, well, oh, this is like feasible, and you kind of could gauge like timelines, all that with just kind of the, the prototype. And from the developer standpoint. They could kind of see the implementation of like, all right, cool. I know some things I can like really focus on. So I think if you're a designer that knows how to code, you're able to be like the ultimate teammate and collaborator because you're able to kind of bring your designs to life. Yeah, I think, I guess another term that I heard before was that they um, they call these people unicorns because they basically understand like the full spectrum of how to implement your designs and how to like talk to different team members. I think I, I want to also delve more into that, which is, I guess in a team setting, how do UX engineers normally work with like designers, engineers, and PMs? Um, you mentioned the prototyping part. Um, I was wondering what are some other, I guess, best practices um, to work with different team members? Yeah, so I kind of gauge it like when you're working part of a team as a UX engineer is that you're able to kind of basically switch what things you're going to focus on depending on the availability of your team. So mm-hmm. I've been in a case where I, I work with mostly designers. So the hat I'm going to wear is mostly asking questions from the engineering standpoint. Mm-hmm. So making sure that like their designs are well grounded and they kind of think of like the different edge cases and whatnot. Right, right. And then if I'm working with engineers, I'm more working from the design standpoint. So you're able to kind of really focus on like feasibility, 
also what is going to bring a good UX experience, thinking about like color theory and all that stuff. So uh, that's why I say it's like you're you're basically like the chameleon because you basically just go in to fill in the parts that need to be filled in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been cases where maybe there's a, a, a designer or engineer and maybe I'm focusing on just like doing user research or doing usability testing. So you kind of have to be um, very fluid in like what you're going to work on. Um, but I think it's good because you're able to kind of touch multiple different things within the, the product development cycle, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like it's, it's super exciting. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like it really depends on the type of people that you're working with. And then you're like switching hats basically between like a designer and also an engineer. And I think um, maybe we can also dive into more like, because I know currently you're working at Played as a design engineer. Um, what does your day-to-day look like? Like how much time like do you actually spend on, let's say like designing versus like coding? Um, or as you mentioned, like asking questions, um, communicating with the team. How does that look like? Yeah, so at Plaid, I am mostly focusing on the engineering side of things, building the design system. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm working with like other designers and uh, another engineer to kind of just build components, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of like always working with designers, kind of commenting like on Figma, mm-hmm. um, building prototypes um, for newer components and productionizing like any other like prototypes. So every day is different because I think, you know, design systems is fairly new at Plaid. So there's like a lot of opportunities to kind of grow the system and also figure out ways to kind of even think about how to scale design engineering within the organization itself, because design engineer is still like a technically a new term. So, um, so I think that's one of the things that I'm constantly thinking about is like how to better scale it, but also how can we support folks that want to get into design engineering? That's kind of like what it looks like from a day-to-day perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, obviously every day is going to be slightly different with like meetings and discussions. And I think the scaling part is interesting as well, because um, I guess like in when, when you mentioned like scaling, is it more like how to communicate to other people the importance of design engineering? Or is it more like we should have more design engineers on the team to make the handoff like smoother? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit both. So I think in the first part is kind of figure out how should design engineer operate within the organization? Mm-hmm. Because there's many things that design engineers can do. They, they can work on design systems. They could work on design or development tooling. They could work on uh, prototyping. And then there's a case of like how, like how do you properly support design engineers because in some parts like it's uh they'll either have you like do either grade you on the 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 design um Mm -hmm. criteria or the engineering criteria which i think it's not fair because i think it's a hybrid role so you should be able to kind of have both right so i think kind of figuring out like what is like how do we uh grade the effect the effectiveness of a design engineer but also how can we um take someone that is either a designer or engineer and be able to kind of have them grow into that role. So it requires like kind of a lot of thinking because again, it's like technically a new role. Right. Um, but I think um, once people understand the why, like all right, why do we need design engineering? That's kind of the, 
once you get that out the way, it's kind of easy from there because then they just kind of figure out how to scale mm. um, from there. And I think there's a lot of organizations that have done it well, like Indeed, Google, mm. and a couple other places that have um, they they've been having this this role called the design or UX engineer. So and it scales very very well, but it just kind of have to, you just have to have to have the proper foundation for that to happen. I also wanted to ask, like, just like from your experience, like as a UX engineer, like I wanted to delve into like the why part. What, like, why do you think UX engineering is beneficial to an organization or just like the product development cycle? Yeah, so I think it stems from the the idea that experiments are super expensive. So let's say I'm working in a startup and. We have this crazy idea for a feature, mm-hmm. and we don't know if it's going to work or not. It might be a good idea, it might be a bad idea, but we decided that we're going to just kind of go full in. We're going to design the new feature, and then we're going to build it out, and then we're going to release it. And mm-hmm. then you find out when you released it that it was probably not the best feature to work on, but it's too late because you kind of built it already. So. When you have uh, like these design engineers, the, the the first thing you want to think about is like prototyping the idea, making sure you're building the right thing, then the thing right. So mm. obviously you're you're kind of building in, the, in case of like I want to go from concept to completion in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. So rather than spending like let's say three months and like ten people to kind of build a feature, you can kind of have like a design engineer, maybe a PM, and then a couple of people to be able to kind of just kind of see experiment, like see if it's worth the time. Because mm-hmm. um, right. the the idea is that like the more features, uh, if you, if you don't know, if you're not really confident in the feature, then you should kind of create a prototype to kind of validate it. And to validate, uh, to build a prototype is way cheaper than actually building an actual um, feature itself. Mm. So you're saving time and money Mm-hmm. Um, and also if you have like, kind of like, a you know, design engineer as a, like a, a group or a team, mm-hmm. be able to experiment with a de- like a lot of features. And again, experimentation is like in the case of like, you might have 30 experiments, but only one is like successful. Mm-hmm. That's still good because you're saving time and money. So you're able to kind of be more innovative when you're kind of thinking about these new concepts and you're not constrained to the actual like product development cycle because you're just kind of figuring out if the thing thing is feasible and it makes sense and is bringing value to your customers right. before you actually invest time actually building it within your product itself. So like, yeah, what I'm hearing is that it saves a lot of time and also money and you can just test out a feature that you're not super certain about in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, that's correct. How do you... Um, because another really important topic you wrote about is prototyping and how do you determine what type of prototype to create at a specific stage of a project? Um, like at least as a designer, I know that there's like low fidelity, mid fidelity, high fidelity. I think you also mentioned interactive prototype. How do you determine what, like what stage is the, for the right prototype? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's something that I, I definitely struggle with while I was like earlier in my career because I was like 
oh, I have to do all these prototyping methods just to kind of build out this design. But I started to realize that there's a correlation between the fidelity of the actual prototype versus the actual confidence. Mm. So if I'm super confident about like my actual uh, design or, or my solution, then I'll choose a higher fidelity wireframe, um, higher fidelity uh, prototype. So that right. could be a clickable prototype, or it could be kind of like interactive prototype and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But let's say I'm like I have zero confidence in it, then I'm using a prototyping method that's more flexible and it doesn't take too much time to kind of build out. So I'll do either a paper prototype or kind of like a wireframe prototype. Mm-hmm. So it's always like depending on like the the confidence because I, I think again if you're not confident, then you shouldn't waste time making the thing perfect or focusing on like the pixel aspect um so if you have like more of like the the flexible prototyping method you're able to kind of like quickly build them out then validate it with real users and then if you're still not confident you can do it over and over again until you get to like that high fidelity so that's kind Mm -hmm. of how i that's how i kind of like gauge um which prototyping method to use right i see yeah that makes sense yeah i Oh, that that's an interesting way of looking at it, actually. Like, and I think in design, it also is the same. It's like if you if you really like the idea, you'll try to make it as high fidelity as possible because you're certain that this might be like the final form or at least close to the final form of of the product. So I guess yeah, that that's the same for like when you're designing for like prototypes or like um, yeah, to like test out the idea for the product. Yeah, and then to add one to add one more thing. Um... The idea is that like I like to compare it to like clothes. So we all buy clothes, mm-hmm. and some of us like to try on clothes before we make that purchase. And I kind of compare it to that. Like if I'm, uh, let's say if I shop at the same store, like for the past ten years, I have confidence that if I order something from there, it's gonna fit me. But if I'm shopping at a new store. And I don't know the size and I don't know if it's going to fit me very well, then I'm going to basically want to try it out or prototype those those like pairs of pants to kind of make sure that it kind of uh, fits the experience, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think before I saw like a website, it, w- it was like e-commerce store promoting like trying out stuff before actually buying to like increase the conversion rate to like for people to actually buy it. So mm-hmm. I think that definitely helps out. Um, I think another another important point that you mentioned in the book, you termed it, it was called tooling. I, w- I wanted to learn, understand more about that. And from your experience, what does tooling mean and what's the importance of it? And it'll be great if you can give some examples to the listeners. Yeah, so I kind of compare tooling to anything that makes your job or task easier. So from the design standpoint, we have tooling like, Figma is like basically a tool because mm-hmm. back in the day when people were designing, they were using like tools that weren't as efficient, like Photoshop mm-hmm. or whatnot. Yeah. But kind of Figma, like yeah, like yeah. Illustrator, and then people that used to use like Fireworks um, mm-hmm. back in the day, that was something that was kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that like uh, you get to a point where you need like like these tooling to kind of bring stuff together. So I've worked with folks in the past where they had toolings where. Uh, if you want to bring like a specific illustration into a Figma or anything else, there's like basically a tooling aspect for it. Mm. From the development side, um, 
if I want to build a uh, design system component, usually there's like some sort of like command I can run in the command line interface mm. that allows me to kind of bootstrap the those components right away. Right. So that's kind of the idea where it's like, it just kind of makes it super easy to kind of get the job done. Mm -hmm. But I would say that there's a good, but also a bad thing about it because sometimes people can get too focused on tooling. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And one example I like to say is like, if you're a architecture and you're able to kind of build an house, uh, like a house or anything like that, right. you're probably not gonna be using like the latest and greatest tools. You probably have a core set of tools that you use. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're gonna like improve over time. But those core sets of tools are work that works for you. So you're able to kind of build a house effectively, but also making sure it's like scales well, whatnot. And I kind of compare that to what we do is that like I not I don't try to use the latest grid tools for like for everything. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm very cautious about adding tools because there's there's could be a point where you can't rely on too many tools. Right. So I try to make sure that like each tool has its own purpose and making sure that it makes my job easier. And not make it harder because again, the more tools you learn, the more things you have to learn, mm. and it gets in a cycle where you're focused more on the tooling than actually building the actual product. It's like I guess setting up your workspace than actually working inside the space and producing work. Yeah. What are what are some of the tools that you use for development? Yeah. So I use um, VS Code as a code editor. And then from there, I actually use uh, FigJam mm -hmm. as a way to kind of diagram like user flows. Right. So I've used it when I was kind of thinking of like a CLI tool that would be super helpful. So I was able to kind of create a, a user flow of like the different routes like folks could um, do to kind of leverage the CLI tool. Right. I forgot that there's a tool I use for... Um, for a screen, sh uh, like taking a quick like Giphy of like my screen. Oh, I forgot the name. It's like G Y A Z O Garzo Garzo. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know if I've, I've never heard of that. So it's a screen share, like you can record your screen and then send it to other people. Yeah, exactly. So because I do a lot of prototyping, and sometimes it's like not. I can't like just publish it right away. Mm -hmm. So what I usually do is like I just take a a video. And I'm able to kind of send to folks and they're able to kind of see the interaction and like, I'm able to ask like clarifying questions. Mm -hmm. um, Figma, I use a lot because another thing that I do is let's say I'm building something or there's something that's being built already. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just take screenshots of it. Like this could be within the actual product itself. Right. I could take screenshots of it, put it in Figma and add my annotations and comments. So that's another thing to kind of do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I use the uh, like iTerm. Mm -hmm. iTerm is basically a CLI tool for, um, or it's like a different version of um, of Terminal. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I got to a point where I have a lot of like specific uh, saved commands mm -hmm. um, that allows me to kind of be very productive. So that I'm not like I don't have like if I want to be able to let's say open a file in VS code and I have a, a specific command for that. If I need to run like some sort of like Docker command, all those are kind of like pre-built so that I don't have to actually write out the whole command. I just mm -hmm. write like two or three letters and I'm able to kind of run it. So that like, that's right. something that is super useful from there. And then I guess last is like keep it old school is um, pen and paper. So I still try to write a lot of stuff down in pen, pen and paper because mm -hmm. that is the quick, quickest way to kind of prototype something. 
Um, again, I tend to, for me, get distracted when I am working in Figma because you're, you know, trying to make things look super pretty mm-hmm. whatnot. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes what I kind of just do is like I go to like pen and paper and just like write it out just to make sure that like I'm right. understanding the problem and I'm clarifying my solutions. I was wondering if somebody walks up to you in this case and this person wants to become, is interested in UX engineer and wants to become like a design engineer, UX engineer, how would you recommend them to start? Yeah, so I think you want to start with the, the skill that you know first. So if you're a designer, make sure you're good enough designer to take an idea from concept to final like UI design and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Once you get comfortable with that UX, that UX process, then you can kind of like enhance your skills. So you can start, you know, depending on like what you focus on. So if you focus on like mostly like web, mm-hmm. you want to focus on like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, um, and just kind of be familiar with that. Mm-hmm. If you're focusing on iOS, then you'll kind of go into using Swift mm-hmm. and getting familiar with that. If you're using Android, I think it's um, Kotlin, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to get familiar with the medium that you're trying to get um, good at. Right. Um, but this is in the case of like, you focus on one thing at a time. So I wouldn't ne- never advise anyone learn both design and engineering, because if you try to learn two things at once, then you're probably going to fail at it. Yeah. But um, in this case, if you're a designer, make sure you're very good with the design aspect and jump into the development, but stay with the fundamentals and the, the basics first before dealing with any other framework or whatnot and if you're an engineer again the same thing make sure you kind of are very competent with like the the medium that you're passionate about so it's like web ios android and then for to get into design it's just kind of like understanding layout spacing typography color theory and understand the difference between good and bad design that's kind of how i learned where it's like if you're able to identify bad design, then you're able to know what good design looks like. Mm-hmm. And from there, take a couple of projects where you're able to kind of build a design from scratch, do usability testing and whatnot, and slowly build up these skills. And then I think once you get to a point where you're super confident, then you're able to kind of be able to take a, the idea from concept to completion. Yeah, it's interesting how, I guess there's, because UX engineering is like the merge of um, design and also development there's different ways to like become like depending on like what your current position is so I guess in my case I'm a designer so probably if I want to focus more on the web then like html css javascript as you mentioned um, but that's after refining my skills and like the ux process and like like everything about like more maybe like graphic design um, stuff typography the basics but yeah um, I know we're coming a little bit short on time i do want to ask the final question and i'd like to add this ask this question to every guest at the very end so basically imagine a scenario where you're facing yourself but 20 years old so probably around college times um what career slash life advice will you tell yourself yeah so i would say i would give the advice where you want to architect your life to what do you want it to be so if if you're 20 years old, you want to envision, like, where do you want to be at 40? Mm. Where do you want to be at 30? 
and basically uh, reverse engineer it and basically work towards that goal. Because I feel, you know, a lot of times people, I was kind of blessed enough where like I wasn't really focusing on like, oh, I want to work in this career. I just kind of figure out like whatever job I want to do, I want to make sure it's creative and I'm able to kind of um, do a lot of things and be able to kind of build things uh, Mm -hmm. myself. So I was able to kind of understood that what to kind of focus on. Right. So that's the advice I always give people where it's like, you know, you want to kind of think with the ideal life, where you want to be, where you want to work at. Um, if you want to start your own company, what kind of company would that be? And then just kind of reverse engineer, break those down to like milestones and, um, and tasks and just kind of be able to kind of tackle that one by one. Right, right. I guess like every every step of your career, were those like intentional decisions to like get into UX engineering and then like like basically what got you here? Were these all intentional on your end? Or was it more like things happened along the way? I would say it was a little bit of both. Um so there wasn't the the term UX engineer wasn't around when I when I was kind of doing it, but I was interested in it because I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, like be able to kind of work to parts of your brain but then there was a lot of like naysayers that are like you know telling me but also like stuff you read in the web where it's like oh like you're trying to do two things there's very very few people that can do two things or do all that stuff or you're a unicorn and unicorns don't exist but i never listened because i was like well you know it's a skill is it like you just have to kind of work hard obviously not everyone can do it, but if you're dedicated, you're able to kind of be able to accomplish and be able to like learn different things and do two things that people think is super hard. Mm-hmm. One story I like to compare it to is that there's like this Marine who is, well, this is a guy who is a Marine. He was also a doctor and he's also an astronaut. So I think I've if seen you that. think about it, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. people are like, wait, you're able to kind of do all, like how is, is it possible Obviously, he didn't do it all at the same time because that's that would be literally impossible. <laughs> yeah. but, he, he, but he literally focused on like, all right, this stage of my life, I'm going to be a Marine. I'm going to be the best Marine possible. Mm. Okay, cool. This next stage, I'm going to focus on um, being a doctor. I'm going to be the best doctor as possible. Cool. Last, all right, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be the best astronaut possible. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I like to compare it because like there's like – if you say you can't do it or if you say you can do it, you're usually right. So that's kind of how I would say it where it's like I never had those limitations. So I was like, if I'm going to do it, then if I spend the time and uh, time, and if I'm determined, then I'm able to kind of accomplish that. So um, that's why I tell people, especially like, you know, if you're right. in, in college, is like just figure out what you want to do. And sometimes you have to be very explicit about like even with people saying like it, it can't be done. Just to try it out and see, because you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've heard someone say, like, never undervalue, like, what you can do. And I think that normally comes from, like, outside, like, pressure. Or, like, as you mentioned, like, people telling you you can't do it. Yeah, for any every, anybody who, like, wants to get into UX engineering, I think, basically, as you mentioned, like, focus on one part first. And then, like, once you're, like, good with that, move on to the next one. And then that's how you progress. I think that rounds up. Um, the interview, um, the fireside chat that we have today. So thank you so much adequately for taking the time. No problem. Uh, Glad to be part of it. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel show. 
and I'll see you in the next episode.